0: Yes, God has been good. It's been a wonderful 20 years. I'm sure it flashed by quickly, not only for you, but for Dan and Eileen. A moment ago, I have to tell you this, when they were playing Sweet Home Alabama, I put my hand on my heart before I even knew it. Uh, My wife and I have two daughters, and both of them went to Auburn. Now, God has a sense of humor, too. But even though it is already that digital age, and, and they wanted us to pay electronically, I always wrote out the tuition on an Alabama national championship check. <laughs> I wanted them to know that I was doing foreign missions and then and realize how difficult that was. Lifelong Alabama fan I've been, and Dan and Eileen as well, but We have much more in common than that. Far more in common is what we've been able to see God do through their lives and through our lives together. Dan was very, very gracious a moment ago to say I've been his mentor. Actually, I have learned about as much from him as he would ever learn from me, and I really do appreciate both of them and their ministries here. You have been blessed, and I'm going to tell you now, let me just tell you this, not every you realize this, don't you? Not every church has this kind of marriage of ministry. Not everyone does. I'm around enough that when I go as a guest preacher, and that's what I do, I've been doing for 24 years now, is being a guest. I have a Ph.D. in guestology. (laughs) Everywhere I go, I can just sense whether or not the church is healthy or whether it has a level of tension. And sometimes it is palpable, the level of conflict in the church. You're a healthy, growing, thriving, vibrant church, and that's a tribute to the Lord and how you have been pliable and usable, you and your pastor, in the days in the past to bring us, bring you where you are now. God bless you for that. I'm going to call it an audible. You don't have to look at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to set the table for you on that. But I recently I had, Pam and I, we put on a, a, an event, and it was like a big event, but for a handful of people. I had 14 of my counterparts, various states considered to be southern states although you had to really push it to put Missouri in the south but anyway it's southern states and the theme I came upon and I don't know maybe I read it somewhere but I took two words and put them together and became one word difference makers and I, I came to realize that what we've been doing disciple making exalting christ disciple making passing the torch all that we seek to do as a church and and beyond is that we're trying to make a world of difference for christ in a world that needs a difference made let me say that one more time because it's tweetable and i never say tweetable things but (laughs) we're seeking to make a world of difference for christ in a world where a difference needs to be made so then what I'd like you to do is just think with me about Peter and John, primarily Peter. You remember Simon Peter. Uh, he, he had a lot of Baptist in him, even though we weren't Baptists back then, because he talked a lot, he bragged a lot, he also was a bit cowardly. And therefore, his his speech and his actions didn't always go together. That's a little bit like some of us, because we tend sometimes in the world of our echo chamber to do a lot of talking for perhaps verbosity and pomposity that word came off my lips okay <laughs> we do that pretty well but when it comes to action sometimes we're a bit anemic and betray ourselves if not make Christ ashamed you remember what Simon Peter did I will never betray you never 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 and Jesus said well yes you will not once not twice, but three times, Simon Peter said, I don't know him. Now think about that. I don't know him. We're going to get to a place in just a moment in our text in Acts 4, 13, chapter 4, verse 13. This is going to sound totally diametrically different from that, that statement he made. It's going to be an affirmation some people make about him. But at this point, Simon Peter, he was, he was anything but courageous. He was cowardly. However, on the day of Pentecost, we had the full revelation of God's Holy Spirit. And they were there a part of that. Peter was a part of Pentecost. And the, the coward became courageous. And since he's preaching the Pentecost sermon... Then in Acts chapter 3, they do what their normal routine was, and that is they went to the temple. They didn't have a First Baptist Church of Lone Oak at that particular time. There was no First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. So they continued to go to the temple, and they passed by a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, never walked in his life. Now, oftentimes, I'm sure he had been invisible. People just walked by, but he was asking alms. That's the way he fed his family. And someone would, I would imagine, come and place him there, and then they would come and get him at a certain time after the prayer times and, and take him home. But on this occasion, after Pentecost, Simon Peter and John, they stop and look at the man, perhaps looking at him genuinely for the first time, and they, the man was expecting something from them, and he said, now listen, silver and gold, money I do not have, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, you're talking about an audacious declaration, but guess what happened? The man found the strength exuding through his bones, his body, and he jumped, but he did more than just stand up. He, he leaped, and he began walking and shouting and praising God and went into the temple doing that. That stayed stoic, sedate group of worshipers all of a sudden turned around and they said, isn't this the man who's never walked and he's always asking for money? What happened to him? Well, then the crowd gathered, and Peter and John were able to share the good news of Jesus. It got him in trouble. It got them in trouble. Healing a man, God's healing, of course, that's one thing but they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These same religious leaders that now Peter and John stood before them, and if you you will, they were on trial, these same disciples knew that those individuals there and others had been involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now all of a sudden, exhibit A, there's a man who's been healed, speaking, hearkening back to the healing ministry of Jesus. Also, there's a declaration, the preaching, that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the grave, and the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection at all. And the other religious leaders, the elders, the captain of the temple, they were perplexed beyond bewilderment. Now, they didn't know what to do. And they could tell that this was different. And what happened? The Bible says that in verse 13... When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, when they saw their boldness, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they marveled because they knew, they realized that these two men had been with Jesus. Now, that's our text. The difference makers, that's an example in our minds at our time today for difference makers. What, what are, what's the ingredient of difference making? Probably different than we think it is. Notice they saw their boldness. Where in the world did that courage, that boldness come from? Did they go to a seminar and learn how to be bold and courageous? Did they go to a Navy SEAL training and learn how to be bold and courageous? Did they learn from some motivational speaker that here are five ways to learn how to be courageous? No, they, they knew, Peter and John did, that their courage was not their courage. Their boldness was not their boldness. It was the boldness and courage God brought through the powerment, empowerment of His Holy Spirit. Now today, if ever before, we don't need to go around and act like we're co- courageous we need to allow and yield to the Spirit of God to give us the kind of boldness, not foolishness, not audaciousness, but boldness and courage that will help us be what we need to be as difference makers for Jesus Christ today. In the year your pastor came here, we had a missionary in Yemen. Her name is Martha Myers, and I I knew her fairly well. Martha was a medical missionary. As soon as she graduated, did her work in UAB in South Alabama, she went to Yemen, and Yemen is one of the more radical Islamic countries. We have now named our state missions offering after her. And here's her story the end of her story. She had for years trekked up and down mountains with a backpack doing missions work and medical mission ministry among the people. Keep in mind, women could not go, cannot go in that radical Islamic kind of environment. They cannot go to male doctors. so she was providing a very important service. A big void was there and she was helping fill that void. And she got a reputation for it. The women loved her. And some, begrudgingly, the males did as well, except at least one. He became angry that Martha's influence over his wife and being that generous, sweet spirit, genuinely a difference maker, that he came in one day with an automatic weapon and killed Martha and three of her colleagues while she was at the hospital. There was a book later written about those four individuals and about Martha particularly that said, Lives Given, Not Taken. The report was... The perpetrator took their lives no they laid down their lives they knew the danger but they had an inherent innate boldness that came from God's Holy Spirit the day she was to be buried she was not buried here back in Alabama in the United States she was buried there a little hillside up from the hospital there's a cemetery there and even though the authorities didn't like it, when she had the, they had the funeral procession for her, women were carrying her body in just a wooden coffin. And lining the streets were hundreds, yea, thousands of women speaking in English, saying, Sister Martha, we love you, Sister Martha, we love you. Now, that's boldness. We may not be international missionaries. We may not be in an alien culture. Oh, yes, we are. We are exiles in the culture in which we live. For no longer now is this, as you used to would call it, a church culture. Some say we're in a post-Christian culture because they say post-modern. So maybe we could say it this way. If you take out technology, if you take out all the technological advances we have we're probably more similar to the first century than we have been in any other previous century because there are people questioning the truth. In fact, there are people describing our era as post-truth. In other words, you make up your own truth. I've heard people say, my truth is this, not my opinion, my truth. There are no absolutes. Well, when you say there are no absolutes, you've made an absolute statement. Therefore, today, more than ever before, we need to have our own God-given sense of boldness to be difference makers. Second, not only did they see their boldness, but they perceive their weakness. Now, you say, how in the world can you be a difference maker when you're talking about weakness? Well, we need to embrace our weaknesses, whatever they may be not a person here doesn't have weaknesses when people ask me about my strengths i don't know about them but i can tell you about my weaknesses and i start talking about and i'm not going to do a confession here this morning my wife knows more of this but we all have our weaknesses but what was theirs? apparent to these well-educated people of the day they were uneducated and untrained people Paul was an outlier. He he had an Ivy League-type education. But Simon Peter and John, no, they were fishermen. I could just imagine Simon Peter. You you watch all the the television programs and movies about the disciples of Jesus. And and I, I just have an image in my mind that's never been seen in more than 100 films about Jesus. Simon Peter, to me, was sort of squatty. He had one hair on his head. And, but he had big thighs. He had pulled those nets. The nets were different. Throw out those nets in the boat. He had to pull them. He had to have strong arms. So I see him as a, a kind of a bulky, short man. Not maybe as short as Danny DeVito, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And many of you don't know who that is, so sorry. But Simon Peter, the one who denied Jesus, the one who said, I don't know Jesus, had impressed even his critics. They're bold, they speak with authority, but they're uneducated and untrained. When I was coming along at ages 10 to 12, I was in a boys Sunday school class, as you would imagine, but we we were, now I I don't put myself in that category, we were kind of undisciplined and kind of rowdy. No, not me. I was tame and always polite. Yeah. Anyway, they finally decided, and he only did this for a year, they finally decided to get a state trooper to teach our Sunday school class. And the first class there, he he was wearing his uniform. He pulled off his weapon and laid it on an empty chair and said, Boys, this is a new day. And we sat up straight and said, yes, sir. (laughs) He scared us to death. But the most prominent influence on my life growing up from a lay perspective was the man who followed him, who taught us Sunday school. He knew the Bible. He loved the Bible. He loved us. He took us on trips. And I never knew how he was able to do it, but... He couldn't read or write. Every Saturday, his wife would sit there and read the the quarterly, the curriculum, and read the Bible, and he had an auditory memory, almost like a photographic memory. He'd come in and quote the Scripture. He'd give us all the points. We could just follow along. He'd give us all the outline, the points, never looking at the quarterly, and just utterly amazed us. Well, I was a grown man before... I realized he couldn't read or write. Uneducated, untrained, but a difference maker. Dwight Lyman Moody would tell—he went on to found educational institutions. The reason for it—he he was poor, and he was uneducated, but he became a world-renowned, at least in the, the English-speaking world, he was a, a renowned minister of the gospel, very influential, a difference maker. So our weaknesses, whatever they are. Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something in terms of your personality. Whatever it may be, God can use your weaknesses. They saw their boldness. That's the difference making. They perceived their weakness. And the third consideration, perhaps, is the most potent. They marveled at their uniqueness. They marveled because they realized. They had been with Jesus. So the man, Simon Peter, who said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Now the most distinctive characteristic of this man who has had a difference made in his life is he had been with Jesus. Difference makers know what it means to be with Jesus. And the the way the best way of our testimony is to be able to exude the fact that we have been with Jesus I must confess to you this morning I don't ask to get speak to speak to many men's conferences I don't hunt or fish regularly I don't ride a motorcycle I don't parachute out of airplanes I don't I haven't like one of our staff members I haven't killed a wild boar with a pocket knife in Alaska. So I speak to a lot of women's conferences. <laughs> You'll get that in a minute. But on one particular occasion, I was at a men's conference, and it was at Chaco Springs, there, our camp in Alabama, retreat center. And I don't remember what I said, to the people gathered. It was a big group, too. And but I do recall one story the other speaker used. He said he was finishing up had just finished up the message and he was preaching at a church somewhere at a men's conference because he made the circuit and a man came up to him kind of burly rough looking and said preacher do you want to know my story well we have learned as pastors never respond you're going to get it anyway <laughs> The story is going to be told real quickly here's his story he said my wife and i were getting along okay but when we had a little boy, our marriage blossomed. We had joy. And then later, when he got sick with leukemia, we had to take him to St. Jude's Hospital, and he died in my arms. And he said, Preacher, I became angry. I was so angry at God, so angry at the world. My wife left me, and rightly so. She, she couldn't stay with me. Too much anger. So he said, all I did was drink. He said, I was not an alcoholic. I was a drunkard. And he said an alcoholic's more sophisticated than I was he said one day I remember quickly he said I was just as drunk as I could be inebriated we would say I just bellied up to the bar where I'd been going had drink after drink after drink trying to drown that anger and those sorrows and finally the bartender said hey you had enough I'm gonna get somebody to take you home I got mad and He wouldn't serve me anymore so I went out and tried to get on my motorcycle and I went over there and tried three or four times and fell down every time and I got up and I was staggering around and I heard music thought I was hallucinating but right across that fairly well traveled road was a tent and he said I just heard him said I knew they were having something of a revival meeting so I walked through that tent and I opened it up and the people could smell me before they could see me And I went straight down the aisle, and there was a big, strong African-American who had Morgan Freeman's voice, and he had been preaching the gospel fervently. And I walked down in front of him rudely and crudely. I said, unless you can tell me why your God took my son away from me, you have no right to preach the gospel. And I don't know how you would respond. I don't, I've often thought, how would I respond? But here's his response that booming voice became a general whisper he stepped down and looked at the man and he said to him you're angry and i can understand you're hurt and i get that but you're asking the wrong question the question you ought to be asking do you want to see your son again and you're never going to see your son again unless you trust jesus christ as your savior And he said, I was so drunk, I stood there for a moment, all of a sudden, the Pacific Ocean just swept over me. And I sobered up and I began thinking about what he was saying. I went to my knees and I cried out, oh God, I've been so angry at you and I'm sorry, I've sinned. I want to be with you in heaven. More important than seeing my son, I wanna see you. And that man said, preacher, wherever you go, You can tell my story. He had a difference made, and he became a difference maker. That's the reality of being with Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and let's pray together. I know today it's a busy day. We're celebrating. There's something else to celebrate, what God can do in your life. So let's pray together that if you have a need to come to know Christ, let's pray that that will happen. If you need to recommit your life, if you need to become part of this wonderful fellowship here, Lord God, we pray that your will will be done in the lives of all who have gathered. Lord, we don't need to have our way. We need to have your way. We pray that those who need to know Christ, that this will be the day when they too will recognize they need to trust you as Lord and Savior. For those who have grown cold and calloused, in their faith and drifted we used to call it backsliding lord if that's happened i pray today will be a day of recommitment for those who want a church home a loving growing vibrant church home where healthy relationships can be established i pray that will happen this day we give you the praise and honor and glory we celebrate you to this day we thank you for jesus in whose name we pray amen